Bobby, Dame time might be coming to an end in Portland, but it's always chatter up time. We're back for episode 61. We'll, of course, catch you up on everything you missed last week, including the Suns, the Bucks, the aforementioned Damian Lillard, Jason Kidd on his way to Dallas. We'll talk Shohei Otani trending up, Garrett Cole trending down, the what the hell's going on with the Yankees, home run derby, the end of Demarius Thomas's career. We get into a scintillating would you rather centered around Trey Young and Devin Booker, and we'll close it out with a countdown of the five best NBA draft picks of the last 25 years. I know I always tell you don't want to miss it, but you definitely don't want to miss it this week. I guarantee you 100% that you will take significant offense to some of the things that we say during this podcast. And when you do, I look forward to hearing your comments. When you tell us on Instagram or on Twitter at chatter underscore up, or hit us up with a nasty worded email at chatteruppodcast at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Don't leave your bad comments there. Leave them elsewhere. I don't want to see them there. I appreciate it. We appreciate it. I look forward to hearing your negative comments. If you want to sound smart in front of your friends, not a lot of things that you can do in an hour to make that happen, but Chatter Up is definitely one of those things. It's time for you to get smarter. Jared, you ready to do this? As always, I'm ready to get into this with you, Bobby. Then let's do this and let's chatter up. Jared, in honor of episode number 61, what's the first thing that comes to mind when I say 61 in sports? Asterisk. Yeah, it's an asterisk. And you're not really sure if the record that Maris set was real or not, but we are on our way to setting the greatest podcasting record ever of most consecutive episodes without ever missing, and we're well on our way. With that, Jared, we obviously open the same way we always do. What did we miss this last week in sports? So start us off. What did we miss? We missed a lot in the NBA playoffs, Bobby. Let's start with the Phoenix Suns, who Sunday night took a commanding, three to one lead in their series against the LA Clippers. If you missed the end of game two, which if you're listening to this podcast, I can't believe you did, but if you did somehow pull it up on YouTube, an incredible finish to the game. Deandre Ayton dunks home a lob from Jay Crowder and out of bounds lob with 0.9 seconds to go. Bobby, were you as shocked as I was that that play actually worked? Yes. Especially from where the ball was being inbounded from which was not exactly underneath the hoop, but a little bit to the right. Like, obviously, Aiton gets the credit for the score, but I think there's two huge things here. Number one, the play set up there was excellent. Devin Booker throws a fantastic screen, gets Aiton open enough, but also like Crowder, what a heck of a pass to put that thing in. Makes them go up 2-0 in the series. It's now 3-1, although when you're listening to this, it might be the Suns already having one. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, and you look at the top of that 2018 draft now, Bobby, how things have changed. The Suns took DeAndre Ayton number one. Luka Doncic went number three after essentially having been traded by Atlanta to Dallas for Trey Young. And so a year ago, everyone looked at this as like, oh my God, I can't believe the Suns passed on Luka. I can't believe they traded Trey Young to Atlanta. Now we've got a whole different lens to view that through. Yeah, it's, it's crazy looking back at that draft. Because you're you're potentially, and there's a lot of room to go here, but you're potentially looking at one of the greatest draft classes ever, depending on how these guys play out. I mean, Aiton's really stepping up his game, especially this postseason. Obviously, Luca's Luca. Trey Young is making that step forward. 
it's wild. And, you know, I, it's, it's probably not fair to compare it to the 96 draft with, you know, Kobe and Ray Allen and Steve Nash and Allen Iverson and Peja Stojakovic and, but hell of a draft class. I mean, Atlanta's got to be happy with Trey. They're in the conference finals. I'm sure Dallas is happy with Luca, DeAndre Ayton. You know, it was funny. Max Kellerman of all people, he said, DeAndre Ayton doesn't look like a bust as the number one pick. And he's like, that's an incredible compliment to be drafted number one overall and not be considered a bust. That's a huge deal. But speaking of huge deals, Trey Young and his Atlanta Hawks have fallen two to one in the series to the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, I don't think really many people saw Atlanta make it to the conference finals. So maybe this isn't a surprise, but I said Hawks in six. Now that has them winning the next three games. Yeah. Jared, do you see Atlanta pulling out this series? I'm not going to completely write them off, but I, I picked Milwaukee coming into the series. I still think Milwaukee wins the series. Obviously, if Trey Young is hampered by that ankle in any significant way, it's probably oh, looking at game three. The Hawks seem to be in control for most of that game. The fourth quarter came, the Bucks make a run, take control, and then Trey goes out about halfway through, maybe a little bit more than halfway through the fourth quarter. With a, a looked like a minor tweak of the ankle. He came back a few minutes later, but the team obviously was not the same once he came back. If they don't have Trey or if he's, if he's limited in any significant way, they have no shot. But they were down 2-1 against Philadelphia, and, and they were coming off a big loss. They had, I think they lost game three by like 20 points. And I came on and I was like, there's no shame in them losing in five or six games to Philadelphia. No one even thought they'd really put up a fight. And here they are in, in the conference finals. And so... I can't completely write them off, but I, I feel even better than I did last week about my Bucks pick. Yeah, you, you can't write them off, especially exactly what you said. They then came back in game four, down 18, and then game five, down 26. So I'm not ready to write them off. They've come back from so much already. How can you not? I feel like this is me picking the heat last year in the finals. I'm still going to stick with it. I'm going to stick with in it. In six games? You know what, man? Listen, going back on your word is not is not complimented on this podcast, so I'm sticking with it. Atlanta in six, they're going to win the next three, and they'll be seeing Phoenix in the in the finals. Atlanta may be on their way to the finals, Bobby. One team that may be going very far away from the finals is the Portland Trailblazers, who made a lot of news this week. First on the coaching front, hiring Chauncey Billups to take over for the departed Terry Stotts. But of much more significance, rumors out of Portland this week that Damian Lillard is unhappy with the direction of the franchise, is not sure if the franchise can ever properly build around him to win a championship. Bobby, is Dame time over in Portland? I hope not. But in this day and age, it seems almost a foregone conclusion. A guy that's been top of the NBA, one of the best players, and wants to go win a championship. Do I blame him? No, but when he forms a super team, am I going to hate that team and hate him? Yes, I will. Look, Charles Barkley never won a championship. Patrick Ewing never won a championship. And these guys are still considered one of the greats. It's not a knock on them. Dan Marino, same deal. Like, they're still phenomenal players, Hall of Fame players. I'm just, I'm, I'm tired of it. We've spoken about this. I'm tired of the super team. Because you know, if and when he leaves, he's going somewhere else. Who knows where that is, but he's going somewhere else that's in line to win a championship. And it's just, it's, it's not fair, which is why I love this NBA playoffs so much. Yeah. That's why I love this so much. I have watched every conference game 
every conference final game and almost every conference semifinal game. And it's been so entertaining because like I got people to root against the super teams. And now in the conference finals, none of these guys, none of them are super teams. The closest thing you ever to super team is Milwaukee. And that's not a super team. That's Giannis and, and, and Chris Middleton, which is fine. Great for them. And if they win it, that's awesome. They did it the right way. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of Kevin Garnett with Minnesota, like how, you know, he spent so many years in Minnesota. They, tr- they tried to build around him. They couldn't do it properly. He stuck around for so long until finally got to the point, And he was older than Lillard where it was time to go. And he got traded to the Celtics and he didn't even want to go at the time, but ultimately obviously worked out for him winning a championship. I think Lillard, and I don't blame him for this, wants to take control of his career. Now he's, he's going to be, he's either is 31 or he's about to be 31 before next season. So he's still in his prime, but he's not 25. He's not looking at another 10 to 15 years in the league. So you're right that we can look back on those guys like Charles Barkley and Dan Marino and Patrick Ewing and, and call them all time greats. But unfortunately with the way the discourse has gone in sports, there are always going to be those people that say, but they couldn't win the big one, but like they could not, they weren't the ultimate winners. You couldn't build a championship team around them, whether that's actually true or not. And so I can't blame a guy like Damian Lillard, who clearly is a championship caliber player is good enough to be the best player on a championship team. And so I can't blame him for saying like, I don't want to have to deal with that for the rest of my life, you know, to, to play the next five, six, seven, eight years in Portland, whatever it is, retire, go down as the best blazer in history or whatever it is, go down as one of the best, whatever it is, top 50, I don't know, players in NBA history, but then have to be grouped in with all those guys, the Carl Malone's, the Patrick Ewing's, the Charles Barkley's that anytime their name comes up, there's always that caveat of, but they, they never won the championship. You give that same leeway to James Harden. You still, yes. you, you, you still, you still feel like he like was a good guy and like did the right thing for himself. <laughs> no, I mean, look, there's, I, I don't blame him for wanting to get out of Houston. I can take issue with how he did it. And we might be able to say the same thing with Lillard in, in six months time, whatever it is. I, I don't blame them for wanting to go somewhere else, but there's still right and wrong way to go about it. Fair enough. Listen, I hear you. I just, it's frustrating, but I'll tell you something that's not frustrating. Seeing Jason Kidd with the Mavericks again. That's not frustrating. That sounds great. Jason Kidd, now the coach of the Dallas Mavericks back in charge. Jared thoughts on the reunion. I'm very interested to see this off on multiple fronts. First off, Jason Kidd had a pretty strained relationship with the Mavs after he left them. Obviously was there won a championship with them. And I'm talking about the second go around. won the championship. Great. Right. Then he left for the Knicks. And apparently there was like bad blood there because he had committed to re-signing with the Mavs. Then all of a sudden he changes his mind, goes to the Knicks, retires, goes to Brooklyn, coaches that big three. It does not work out. He leaves after one year, tried a power struggle. Didn't work. He leaves, goes to Milwaukee. Milwaukee was like an eight seed, a seven, eight seed with kid there. They're like a 500 team. They fire him. They bring in coach Bud, who everyone has problems with now. And they immediately vault to like a top two or three team in the Eastern conference. So the question is like, how much does that have to do with Jason Kidd? Is Jason Kidd a bad coach? Is he, it's weird. Cause when he was a player, I always thought of him as two steps ahead of everyone else on the floor. And it was like, this guy's so smart. And when the Nets hired him, I was like, damn, he's going to be a great coach. Cause he's just like, so smart. He knows that he's a basketball savant, but that, did not turn out to be true in his first two stints. I'm interested to see, has he learned from his mistakes? 
And can he take Dallas to the next step? Because as good a coach as Rick Carlisle is, and I'm sure he'll be successful in Indiana now, they obviously, they were stuck in the same stage that they had been for the last, what, three, four, five years. Yeah, the one thing I'll say on this is I think it's a little bit of a different situation, and I think it might be a recipe for success. With Jason Kidd in Milwaukee, you know, the guy running that team is Giannis. Giannis didn't bring the ball to the court. You know, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a different play style. Versus in Dallas, Luka's the guy that brings the ball to the court and the offense runs through him at all times. And Jason Kidd has a lot of familiarity with the offense running through the guard. And so I think there's a lot to be said for taking a young guy like Luka who does similar things as to what Kidd did. Obviously, it's different. Luka's a bigger guy. He's a better scorer. But, like, the offense runs through him. And so I think there is a world where, yeah, Dallas moves up to the four, the three seed. And the last time we said somebody could move up to the four, the three seed was Phoenix. And things worked out pretty well for them so far. Things are working out pretty well for Shohei Otani, Bobby, on both sides of the ball. Continues to be one of the best pitchers in baseball. He's got an ERA in the mid twos. Continues to be one of the best hitters in baseball. It feels like every night I go on Twitter and on my timeline, I see another Shohei bomb. Is he the best show in the sport, Bobby? No pun intended. Is he the most exciting player in baseball? It's got to be him or Jacob deGrom. It has to be one or the other. And I think it has to be Shohei Otani. He's the only guy that plays both sides of the ball. And not only does he play both sides, he does it really well. We've never seen this. Not in our lifetime. It's been a long time since we've seen it. We talked about old Hoss Radborn last, last week. Talked about how many home runs he hit. What was it? Something around like, like a dozen? Something like that? Nine, I think. Something like that, yeah. Sure. You know, Shohei's got 25. <laughs> He's got 25. He's basically leading the league. He mashes the ball. I mean, that ball flies off his bat. I don't remember a, a guy coming over from Japan or really anywhere like that since Hideki Matsui, maybe. He's incredible. He's so fun to watch. It's great that he's in the home run derby. He's must-see TV. Yeah, he has definitely entered that pantheon of guys that it's like, if, you're, if the Angels happen to be on Sunday Night Baseball and you flip on and he's up or he's pitching, you are not changing the, the channel until the inning's over or whatever it is because you can't take your eyes off him. I would say it's like him. I feel the same way about Fernando Tatis Jr. You mentioned DeGrom, probably like Ronald Acuna. These are just the guys that it's just a different level. You know what I mean? Like, for example, yeah. Freddie Freeman, is a, he's, a, he's the reigning National League MVP. He's a great player. He might be on his way to the Hall of Fame. But you don't feel the same. Like Braves are batting. Freddie Freeman's two batters away. You're not like, oh, I have to stick on this game to watch Freddie Freeman hit. If one of those guys, and particularly Otani, because that's who we're talking about now, if Otani's due up in two batters, you are not changing the channel. I'm in 100%. I would not want to miss that. But speaking of people missing things, Jared, we had our first ejection because of foreign substance-related things. Seattle Mariners pitcher Hector Santiago got checked, coming off the field. They looked at the glove, they pointed to him, they pointed to the dugout and said, you're out of here. Is this significant or we just, this just happened to be the first and that's why we're talking about it? More of the latter. It's weird because, first of all, he came out after the game and he was like, I don't even know why I was ejected. He said like there was rosin on the glove, but like you're allowed to use rosin. So I'm not sure if this was just like baseball was like, hey, we haven't actually. Now, obviously it has had an effect because you look at all the numbers the spin rates are down dramatically since they started checking so people are not using it but i don't know if baseball was like hey 
we haven't actually caught anyone. We gotta like we gotta actually like make a spectacle of this so that like for the show of it, sacrificial lamb. Yeah, like maybe it's time just, but it, it was so weird. You had you had the authenticator come to put his glove in the bag. I mean, it looked like a trash bag. Yeah, it did. It did. I I wonder though, are we going to at some point see like a big name actually get thrown out for this? Because Hector Santiago, whatever. I mean, if you're a big baseball fan, you've heard of the guy. If you're a casual fan, you definitely haven't heard of him. He's bounced around for years. No one will remember him in five years. I want to see at some point this season, do we actually get a confrontation on the mound and an ejection with a guy of note? Well, let's talk about a guy of note, shall we? Garrett Cole since this has happened, has been bad, really bad. He's only had one month in his career where he's had a worse ERA than this, and that was in 2017 with the Pirates. His spin rate is significantly down. I mean, whatever. He's had a phenomenal career. He's allowed to have one bad month. I mean, could this be the guy that, like, when he starts getting good again, because he will, that he's the guy that gets ejected? I hope so. I would love to see it. I, I mean, you have to be a little worried if you're a Yankee fan. Now, I don't think Garrett Cole, you know, if, if let's just say he, he doesn't use whatever he was probably using before for the rest of the season. I don't think all of a sudden he's going to transform into a four and a half, five ERA pitcher, which he's been over the course of this month. Even with the drop off that will occur, I think he, he will still be one of the better pitchers in the American League. But given the timing of all this, knowing that you know, his last few years in Pittsburgh, he was not, I mean, he had great stuff, but he wasn't one of the better pitchers in the national league goes to the Astros completely turns around his career. Now it didn't come out of nowhere because he was great to start his career with Pittsburgh. He was the number one overall pick in the draft. It's not like he came out of nowhere, but goes to Houston, turns his career around, gets this massive contract from the Yankees. And now you had a month ago, we had the situation where they asked him straight up to use spider tack. He didn't answer the question, but for all intents and purposes, he answered the question And now since they started checking, he has struggled significantly. Will there be some sort of adjustment period for him? Probably, but you have to be somewhat concerned if you're a Yankee fan. Again, not to think that he's going to be, he's going to all of a sudden turn into a number five starter, but to think like, did we give a guy who's not actually as good as we thought a massive contract? I mean, let's, let's stick with his team then. You know, you said you're not super worried yet. We spoke about the Yankees, what, two or three weeks ago? They were three games over 500, and I said to you, are you worried? And you said, I mean, I hope they don't do well, but, like, no, I'm not super concerned yet. Well, Jared, we're almost at the All-Star break, and they're still three games over 500. They're 40 and 37. They're five games out of the wild card, along with Toronto in that division, and they're 17 and 24 against the division this year. First, I'll say, are you concerned about the Yankees now? And then two, who's more likely to make the playoffs? I just mentioned Toronto, both of which are five games back of the wild card. Both have nearly identical records. Who has a better shot of making it? Yes, I am officially concerned. You have to be. I mean, we're talking about, you mentioned there are three games over 500 now. It's not a small sample size anymore. They've played, what, 75 games, and they're three games over basically half the season. And this follows last year's abbreviated season, where again, in the 60-game season, I think they finished six games over 500. Now, again, it's funny that we're like going nuts. You'd think that they're 20 games under 500. They're still three games over. They were six games over last year, but still it's significant sample size where they have not shown to be one of the better teams in baseball. 
And the problems that they had at the beginning of the season remain. They still are not really scoring a lot of runs. They can't hit with runners in scoring position. And unlike Toronto, I wouldn't say they're missing one of their best players. Really. Like Luke Voigt is very good, I guess. And they missed their, they've been missing him for most of the year. He just came back. But Toronto, who you mentioned, is, is also five games back of the wild card. Their biggest offseason spend was George Springer. They gave him a huge contract, brought him in thinking like, okay, this guy's going to be, if not our best player, one He's of our piece. best players. Yeah, and, and they haven't had him at all. He's played in what, like one game until uh, up until now? He's just coming back now. And so I guess based on that, I would say I'm slightly more confident in Toronto to make the playoffs, but still like <laughs> – it just feels like such a shocker to say the Yankees will not make the playoffs. But look, we're, we're talking about a large sample size now. You can't just wave it away. We talked about Shohei Otani earlier, Bobby. He's going to be in this year's home run derby at Coors Field. He'll be joined by Rocky shortstop Trevor Story, Mets first baseman Pete Alonzo, and your Orioles first baseman Trey Mancini. There are four spots left. I think they do two American, two National League guys. But who's the one guy, or, you know, you can give me more than one, but who are, who are the guys that you want to see filling those last four spots? I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you one guy, and it's controversial. But you know who I want to see? I want to see old man Albert Pujols in there. Wow. I want to see Pujols in the home run derby one more time and just see what he's got. And he would get a standing ovation no matter what. I just think it'd be fun. It probably would be fun. I'm going to go Vlad Jr. He put on a show two years ago. He's 100%. been a beast this year. Although I would also love just get one time. Just give it to us one time, Major League Baseball. Can we please just put Madison Bumgarner in one yes. year just to see what would happen? Yes. It, it would be super fun. I'm super into it. Let's switch quickly, Jared, to the gridiron. Demarius Thomas, at one time, one of the top five wide receivers in the game, probably, maybe top 10, has retired at the age of 33. Great career pretty under the radar in terms of his personal life. Seems like a good dude. Hats off to him. But Jared, 33, 33 years old. In any other sport, we would be like, wow, that's really young. But in football, we're like, oh, no, yeah, that's normal. This sport isn't sustainable, right? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, look at Chris Paul. We've talked a lot about him. He's 36, and he's still, you know, one of the best players on a team that's up 3-1 in the Western Conference Finals. In football, it's it's just like the quarterbacks. Like, yes, Brady is whatever, 500 and still going. But if you're not a quarterback, and sometimes you see it with, like, offensive linemen, I guess, can play until they're pretty old. But otherwise, it, it is it is kind of shocking to see a guy, Darius Thomas, who just a few years ago, you're right, was recognized as one of the best receivers in the league, was a huge part on those Broncos teams with Peyton Manning that were good every year, obviously won a Super Bowl. 33. If you would, I mean, if you would, I, I would have guessed, probably closer to Chris Paul's age, 35, 36, 33 feels young. Way, way, way too young. And then finally, Jared, the Stanley Cup finals are about to begin. Tampa Bay Lightning, Montreal Canadiens, America versus Canada. Who you got? I got to go Tampa Bay. It's, I know it's the easy pick coming off the student championship last year. They just beat my Islanders in seven games. It's so rare to see a team that has like that much skills, that much firepower, and their goalie is fantastic. It's not a fun, it's not a sexy pick, but I'm going Tampa. I'll give it six games. Give me Montreal in seven. As you and I both know, every Canadian has three things in their life. Ice, a Zamboni, and a skating rink. And they are all very, very good at hockey. This is not a good sports analysis at all. But I'm taking Montreal in seven. Bobby, we haven't done this in a few weeks, so it's time to bring back one of our favorite segments You know it as would you 
rather. Well, I will present you with the question and you will tell me which of these two scenarios you'd rather have. I'm ready. Let's do this. So we talked about both the Hawks and the Suns in What Did I Miss? Both teams, obviously, in the conference finals. Suns up 3-1, well on their way to the NBA finals, it looks like. Hawks down 2-1, so they've got some work to do, but certainly not out of it yet. Those two teams are led by two young stars. We've already spoken about Trey Young for the Hawks. We haven't yet touched this week on Devin Booker, who I think we would both agree is the best player on the Suns, whether he's the most important, you can argue, but but maybe we'll get into that. So the question that I have for you, though, Bobby, is who would you rather have for the rest of their careers, Devin Booker or Trey Young? Now, this works because they're about the same age. Devin Booker is 24 years old. Trey Young is 22 years old. So it's not too much of a difference there. So if we're talking about the next whatever it is, 10 to 12 years, are you taking Trey Young or Devin Booker to build around? I'm just going to give you my answer because I think we both agree on this. The answer is Devin Booker, right? I'm You're not, not sure How are that. you not taking Devin Booker? I'm not sure about that. So why don't you educate right. me on why the so, answer is so obviously Devin Booker? I mean, let's 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 not forget, you know, you, you mentioned like the guy coming out of the bubble last year who like yep. went good to great was Jamal Murray. I might fight you on that and say it was Devin Booker. I know that they didn't win. Or they, they didn't make it to the to the playoff, but they were eight and no. And they were eight and no because of Devin Booker. That was a Chris Paulus Phoenix Suns. Okay, that's one. Two, Devin Booker statistically is way more efficient than Trey Young. Trey Young is careless. He will chuck up a three from 35 feet when he has no business doing that. Not that he can't hit it, but just at the wrong times. And he turns the ball over more. Devin Booker shoots 48% from the field and 54% from inside three. Trey Young, on the other hand, is shooting 44% from the field, 4% less, and 34% from three. Now, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not putting down Trey Young. He's 22. He's prone to mistakes. He's going to get even better, and he's fantastic. But Devin Booker is probably the best player on the best team in the West right now. I don't think that's true of Trey Young in the East. That's fair, but it's a little bit of semantics because, and I'm just talking about your last point, because it's like, yes, he's probably the best player on the best team in the Western Conference right now. But would you put it, would you say he's better than LeBron James? No, you still wouldn't. Would you say he's better than Anthony Davis? No, you wouldn't. Would you say he's better than Kawhi Leonard? Probably not. And that, and that might be a very different series if Kawhi Leonard's playing. Uh, unfortunately, obviously, he's out. Here's the, the argument for Trey Young. And, and whichever way you go on this, I, I think my biggest point is just that it's not, it's not as obvious as you're making it out to be. Because when you look, at their, you look at their career numbers, Booker first career average is 23 points a game, Trey Young 24, so it's nearly identical. Booker 3.7 rebounds a game, Trey Young 3.9 rebounds a game. Booker, four and a half assists. Trey Young, about nine assists. So that's the counting stats. Uh, slightly in favor of Trey Young, but, you know, uh, almost identical except for assists. You're right in terms of the, the percentages for their career. Booker's a 45% shooter. Trey Young is 43. So also, again, very similar. From three, Booker's 35. Trey Young's 34. Free throws, Booker's 87. Trey Young's 86. 
the numbers are nearly identical across the board. And so I certainly don't think it's a slam dunk, Devin Booker. What's the argument for Trey Young? He is the undisputed number one player on that team. Without Trey Young, the Hawks are nowhere. He is the engine that makes that team go. And like I mentioned in, when I intro this question, Booker, in terms of skill, yes, is the most is the best player on the Suns, no question about it. But you can make the argument Chris Paul is the most important guy on that team, right? And I, I recognize the fact that they're beating the Clippers now without Chris Paul. But at the same time, the last few years, they've had Devin Booker. He's been great in terms of on-court production, but it, has, it had not led to wins until this year, which coincided with them getting, getting Chris Paul. The other, I mean, the numbers are so close, but you look at the advance, this is per 100 possessions, Trey Young, offensive rating of 117, defensive rating 116, which means he's, he's a plus one, which is not great, but an offensive rating of 117 is, is, is pretty damn good. Booker per 100 possessions, and this is just this season. This isn't for their career. 110 offensive rating, 114 defensive rating, which means he's actually a negative four in terms of like on court production for the Suns. Right. It's weird with advanced stats because you can look at that. Like, like, there's no way you can look at me with a straight face and say, yeah, the, the Suns are actually better with Devin Booker off the court, but it is something to consider. I, I also think, you know, not to, not to devalue my own argument. But I think one of the biggest things that Trey Young has going for him that Devin Booker doesn't, and this is just the eye test, mm-hmm. is I think I think Trey Young creates his own shot better than Devin Booker. I think Trey Young gets to the lane as good as anybody. I mean, he's he's unguardable in getting to the lane. And from there, it's about facilitating, it's about whether or not he's putting up the floater. But if you're asking me, with two seconds left in the game, who is the guy with the killer instinct who I want taking that last shot and my options are Trey Young or Devin Booker, Trey Young will settle for 35-foot three-pointers. Devin Booker will get you the best shot. He might not always make it, but he'll get you the best shot, and that's the guy that I want taking that last shot. You just talked about devaluing your argument. I'm going to do the same a little bit here because one of the, like we said, the age is not really a factor because they're one's 22, one's 24. It's not like either, even both of them are still like, honestly, not even close to their primes, but you do have to look at durability. And we talked about it with Trey Young already. He's, he hurt his ankle. We don't even know what his status is the rest of the series, but just looking at their frames, Devin Booker, six, five, 206 pounds. It's pretty solid. Trey Young, he's 6'1", 180. He just, he looks so slight out there on the court. And you look at his career to date, played 81 games his rookie year. That's great, obviously. It's pretty much a full season. 60 games the next year, 63 out of 72 games this year. 63 out of 72 is fine, I guess. But I do wonder what, how, how he holds up over the next 10 years. Like, will he actually be able to play 73 games a year for the next 10 years. So what's the answer? Are you talking yourself out of your argument or are you, 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 you sticking with Trey Young? So, so tough. I really like whatever I say, I'm not going to feel good about it. <laughs> I think, I think I'm going to go with Devin Booker. Wow. Okay. All right. Win for Bobby. But again, I might change my mind five seconds after we stop recording this. And I want to, I want to be clear. 
it's absolutely not the slam dunk that you made it out to be. I think you're right. I, I think you're right. Actually, I think you're right completely with what you just said. I think the answer is Devin Booker. I also wouldn't be shocked if in even like two years, the answer becomes Trey Young. If you put me with either one of those guys for the next 10 years, yeah, I'm going to feel pretty darn good about it. We're even talking about that Luka Doncic, Trey Young trade might have been fair. Like that's yeah. crazy, you know, like that's, that's absurd to think about that for how good Luke has been. And so, yeah, I'm taking Devin Booker, but it's, you're right. It is not nearly as much of the alley-oop as I had made it out to be before. Bobby, we had so many great ideas for this third segment that we decided to take two of our favorite segments and merge them into one. We got a combination of this week in sports history and another Chatter Up Countdown because we know that people love the Chatter Up Countdown. So we'll start with the this week in sports history aspect. It was this week, specifically June 27th of 2013, that the Eastern Conference finalist Milwaukee Bucks selected an unknown Greek named Giannis Antetokounmpo. I remember the first time I saw him play against the Knicks, I was like, what is this? This guy is like the longest person I've ever seen in my life. And now years later, he's a two-time MVP. He's one of the best players in the NBA. He might turn out to be the best player on a team that wins the championship. What, a, what an adjective. <laughs> he's just super long. He was. I mean, I remember seeing his hands, like a picture on Twitter of his hands holding the basketball. And it was like, the guys, it's literally like me holding a ping pong ball in my hands. I I can't, I don't understand how I'm part of the same species as this person. Okay. Okay. So that got us thinking, Bobby, about the best draft picks of the last 25 years, the best NBA draft picks of the last 25 years. Let's just clarify when we say the best, we mean in terms of value, because obviously like, LeBron James would deserve to be on the list of the best draft picks of the last 25 years, but LeBron went number one. So yeah, I mean, he's, you got more value in the number one pick in LeBron James than you did out of Anthony Bennett, but still LeBron went number one. Great things were expected of him. He's delivered on great things. We're talking more about, I don't want to say sleepers, but guys that in the spots they were selected, you could not have expected to get what you actually got out of them. So start us off with number five on our list, Bobby, of the best NBA draft picks of the last 25 years. When you're looking at value, and you mentioned it, you got to look at what's expected versus what you got. And at number five comes Draymond Green, a second round pick, 35th overall in 2012, and defensive juggernaut a multi-time champion and was a key cog in all of those championships for Golden State. I mean, when you start to get into round two, you are not expecting much. Granted, it was the beginning of round two, but Draymond has really, really taken the value there. Yeah, there's a really strong argument that Draymond Green is on his way to the Hall of Fame. I know it might sound crazy to a lot of people, but he was the cog that unlocked that quote-unquote lineup of death before KD got there when you had Clay, Steph, Draymond, Andre Iguodala. When the Warriors went small with Draymond at center, 
nobody could keep up with them. He was a huge part of those teams, and that's why he deserves to be number five on this list. Bring us into number four. Number four, we're now entering the pantheon of Hall of Famers. We go to the 1996 draft, which you had mentioned earlier, Bobby, one of the best of all time. The number 15 pick in that draft, Bobby, current Brooklyn Nets head coach and former Mm two-time MVP Steve Nash, the 15th pick in the 1996 draft. It's almost like the exact polar opposite of what Giannis was when I first saw him. Obviously, I don't remember the first time I saw Steve Nash play. I was three years old. But when you look at him, even I remember him as a Dallas Maverick, and it's like he doesn't look particularly athletic. He had that moppy, like weird-looking hair. You don't look at him, look at him, and see a guy that you would expect to dominate on NBA floors. But that's exactly what he did. We mentioned he's a two-time MVP. He was by far and away the best player on those Phoenix seven-second or less teams that somehow didn't win a championship or were in contention every single year. You could not take your eyes off him when he was on the court. Hall of Famer, one of the best point guards of all time. We talked a few weeks ago whether Chris Paul was ahead of him, and there's a real argument that he's not. So I think Steve Nash is very deserving of the number four spot on this list. Yeah, you just knew that with the ball in his hand that something good was going to happen. And it might not mean that they always get a bucket. Obviously, it didn't mean that. But it meant that you were getting the best shot to come up with the best play. It's just an unbelievable player. And as you mentioned, a two-time MVP out of the 15 spot. Man, and also, like, to be highlighted out of that 96 draft, ah, just unbelievable. Led several of his teams to really, I mean, almost championships. The dude is absolutely deserving of one of the best value picks of all time. Which brings us, ironically, to number three, where we also talk about a two-time MVP. We also talk about a 15th overall pick. But we're fast-forwarding, Jared, by 17 years to 2013 when (laughs) the longest man on earth was drafted by the Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis Antetokounmpo. He doesn't need much of an introduction as we know who he is. The dude is well on his way to becoming one of the greatest ever he is probably according to you headed to the finals not according to me and he's just an absolute force on the court if he drives and gets any lane he's unstoppable you cannot get in his way he's a freight train and he'll kill you and he'll put the bucket in and he'll laugh while he's doing it yeah, if you watch the post game last night, Barkley compared him to Shaq and LeBron in terms of just being a physical freak. And I think Shaq's actually a good comparison. Like he's kind of an evolved version of Shaq in the sense that like at the end, yes, at the end of games, you can't really go to him and expect him necessarily to get you a bucket when you need one. We saw that in game three. Chris Middleton was that guy for them. But over the course of the 48 minutes, you, you know what you're getting from, which is basically 30 points, 15 rebounds, a couple of blocks. He's going to alter a bunch of shots. He's only 26, and he's a two-time MVP. There's a good chance he wins a couple more. Like you mentioned, he might be on his way to the finals. That I mean, it, it was a tough call to put him over Nash, but I think the fact that, A, he's already matched him in MVPs and he's only 26, and B, 
for as good as Steve Nash was offensively, he was basically a defensive zero. Giannis is an offensive force, like you mentioned, and is a four-time all-defensive player. He's a one-time defensive player of the year. Whether you think he deserved that or not, he's obviously almost as much of a force on defense as he is on offense. So I think you got to go with him over Nash for number three. Which brings us to the top two, Bobby. We argued back and forth on this top two. I'm still not sure we have it in the right order. I'm going to go with what we have on the paper. I think we're going to get a lot of blowback for this because the number two guy that we have on this list of the best value picks of the last 25 years is the late, great Kobe Bryant. We've talked about the 96 draft. Kobe was drafted not number one, not number five, not number 10. Number 13 in the 1996 draft by the Charlotte Hornets traded to the Lakers immediately thereafter for Vladi Divac. What is there to say about Kobe that we don't already know, Bobby? Why is Kobe not number one on this list? I'm still not sure. I mean, (laughs) he's a five-time NBA champion, 15-time All-NBA, 18-time All-Star, 12-time All-Defense, only one MVP award, shockingly. And to many people, one of the 10 best players of all time, some might even have him higher than that. And yet he's only number two on this list, Bobby. How do you feel about that? It feels like you're setting me up for failure here. Like you were like, oh yeah, I knew Kobe should be number one. Let's just be clear about something. Okay. This is the second greatest value pick in history, or at least well, in the last, last 25 years. In the last 25 years. And I, I, I would argue in history as well, but that's, that's a separate conversation. The guys that were drafted ahead of Kobe weren't exactly scrubs. We're looking at guys like Allen Iverson, Marcus Camby, Stefan Marbury, Ray Allen, Antoine Walker. Like these guys aren't scrubs. Now, you definitely had other scrubs, Todd Fuller, Eric, (laughs) you know, Samaki Walker. Yes, there are other scrubs here. I don't disagree that there's the argument to be made that he's the greatest value pick. And we'll we'll get to one in a second because I don't want to dive into him yet. But yeah, I, I, there, how much more do you say about Kobe Bryant that he was absolutely unbelievable his entire career? And he ended his final game with 60 points at storybook stuff. Multiple time NBA champion, MVP, two time scoring champ, arguably the best player on a championship team with Shaq. Unbelievable what you get out of the 13th pick. You know, when you when you talk about the lottery these days. You're like, if you're not in the top five, you'll get a good player, but you, you're, you're probably not going to get like a hall of famer. There are yeah. obvious exceptions. You got, got, you know, Steph Curry went seventh, but then after you get at the top 10, then you're like, all right, like who, who's the best of the rest. You're just hoping at that point, you're kind of just hoping like, do, can I get a starter, a guy that like can start games for me and be productive, but you're certainly not expecting much more than like an all, you know, you can't be expecting to draft an all-star like you're right. Even outside of the top 10. 100%. Like Kevin Herter went 19. That's a great pick. Yeah. You got Kevin Herter. He's starting. He's a, a great contributor. That's the best case scenario out of the 19th pick. And like, you know, Kobe comes at the 13. You're like, all right, like I hope he's a starter. Yeah. I think Kobe Bryant was a starter <laughs> and that worked out pretty well for LA. But not number one, Bobby, which brings us to the best draft pick of the last 25 years. Introduce him for us. It has to be the 57th, 57th overall pick in 1999, 
the Argentinian assassin, Manu Ginobili. If you're talking about value, which is what this countdown is, at 57, you're barely expecting a rotating bench player. Honestly, if you get a guy like somehow in your rotation at 57, you've hit a home run. Yeah. And granted, he was never the best player on the team, but he was the third best player on a phenomenally successful team. Maybe the second, you know, between him and Tony Parker. He shot the lights out of the gym. He, he let's, let's, let's read some of his accomplishments, shall we? I think that I think it's important. He's a four-time NBA champ, two-time NBA All-Star, sixth man of the year in 2008. He also is one of only a handful of people to win a EuroLeague, an Olympic gold medal, and an NBA final championship. I mean, it's it's not just in the NBA, but like value at 57. Come on, there's there's it doesn't get better than that. Yeah, I think I think I'm on the same page as you with that. It's not an argument over who's the better player because that's obviously Kobe. But of course, from what we I mean, 57. Like Manu was taking 35, like Draymond was. Maybe you put Kobe ahead of him, but to get a guy who could be the third best player on a championship team and not like the third best player being like behind two, like, you know, for example, with the Lakers last year, it's like, you got LeBron, you got AD and like, who's the third best player on the team last year. I don't know. You can make an argument for a bunch of different guys. They're obviously not in the same class as Manu Ginobili. He was the spark plug for that team. A guy that they consistently went to down the stretch of big games to get buckets. The guy who had the ball in his hands, all the time in big moments and more often than not delivered. And again, the 57th pick, like if you make the roster as the 57th pick, you've done a pretty good job. If you get like the eighth or ninth man on your bench as the 57th pick, like you've hit a home run. So to be able to draft a guy that you could go to down the stretch in big games for buckets and win championships with at 57 you can make the argument Kobe should be over him on this list. I can't agree with you, though. And let's let's not forget that he saved 15,000 people's lives in one night. <laughs> okay, Are, are we talking about the bat incident? We're talking about the bat incident. There was a bat in the stadium that could have killed thousands of people. And he's like, you know what? I got this. Swats it out of the air with his bare hands. And then just like, yeah, all right, I'm done. Let's go play the game. A true national hero. For some reason, it's not on his basketball reference page, but when compiling this list, I absolutely agree with you. Has to be taken into account. Maybe that's what pushes him over the top of Kobe as the best value pick of the last 25 years. Jared, you and I are all about breaking records. And it is time for us to break Roger Maris's record next week with episode 62. More fun, more games. We'll probably be talking about the NBA Finals. I'll give you my take. You'll hate it. You'll give me yours. I'll hate yours. It's going to be great. I can't wait. More fun, more games. No asterisks, though. Want to thank all of you for continuing to listen to Chatter Up. Like Bobby mentioned, you want to be on the Chatter Chamber, hit us up. You want to give us a would you rather, hit us up. You have anything you want to talk about, you want us to talk about, you got a chatter up countdown you want us to do, hit us up. We love hearing from you. We love hearing your suggestions. 
So don't miss next week's episode of Chatter Up. We'll see you all next week with the next Chatter Up.